it is time for the Jedi to end. But the start of Geek Top 5! Yay! I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And it's been a heck of a couple of weeks. We've got the five top best things to come to bring directly to you. So, number five on the list. Celebration's been going. Star Wars Con. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is... I mean, there's lots of cool news coming out of there. But one of the things that I think is getting sort of swept under the rug a little is Star Wars from a certain point of view. So this was teased on Twitter and other places for a while as, uh, what was it, Operation Blue Milk? Operation Blue Milk. Yeah. Which, for some reason, has become a fairly mainstream reference to the to the blue milk that they're drinking at the homestead on Tatooine. Yeah. They threw a little reference to it into Rogue One, that sort of thing. What What is this? This is, essentially, they're going to be, re- in celebration of the 40th anniversary, Del Rey is releasing a collection of short stories. It's like 40 short stories by 40-ish Star Wars authors. Just telling other other stories in the Star Wars universe, and the proceeds are going to charity. And but to... specifically, they're telling stories of other characters f- that appear or are referenced or are somehow involved in specifically A New Hope. And I found that sort of interesting. A lot of the stuff in this, this new fiction, it either ties in uh, directly... I mean, you might be able to speak to this more than me, but it either takes place after Return of the Jedi or between A New Hope and Empire. I would say, if anything, there's been a lot of material that's sort of in between like Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. The, the Tarkin right, book, the Thrawn true. book. There's a lot of that, like, filling in holes where the movies don't cover. Yeah. Right? Because, of course, like that's there's decades in there that authors can create characters and have them have new experiences and wind them down you know, without tripping over the continuity of the movies. I guess my, um, my focus with any of the Star Wars extended stuff has been mainly on the comic books. And the comic books have, for the most part... The, the new continuity ones, anyway, take place right after A New Hope. So it's just interesting that they're, to me anyway, they're focusing on that. And the, the time between Empire and Jedi hasn't been really touched yet. Well, I understand they want to do it like it's the 40th anniversary you know, of A New Hope. So okay. I guess they want to tie it into that. But more to me what this calls up, this calls up the Tales novels. Uh, so some comic books for those too. But this was a big thing when I was a kid. Um, it started in 1995 with Tales from the Moss Eisley Cantina, and then they sort of released a series of these books. There's a Tales from Jabba's Palace, a Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Later, there's Tales of the New Republic and Tales of the Empire. What these were were collections of short stories that investigated what's happening, you know, with the B and C list characters or even just the random faces in the background. Like, we've talked about this before. One of the things that makes Star Wars so cool is that it's such a big place. Mm -hmm. It's full of all these crazy aliens and pl- and people and just i guess aliens are people i guess that was a little judgmental <laughs> wow. of yeah, me come on jess jeez I'm, I'm i'm working to overcome this xenophobia <laughs> i promise but one of the interesting things is the press release for this specifically said it's there's never been a book like it and i was like uh, i'm pretty sure there's like five or six books exactly like it well yeah whenever they release a movie they say there's never been a movie like it either you i know, guess so yeah. but in this place there's there's like a very specific yeah it seems like this is drawn very directly from those tales novels yeah and these were i mean every once in a while someone releases some supplementary material and it's usually garbage this was not garbage some of these tales were phenomenal and some of the characters we're big fans of now got their start in the tales novels yeah the tales of the bounty hunters that's the like you know that's the crew from empire strikes back with vader like you know there'll be a substantial reward to find the millennium falcon and that's like you know who were those people well it turns out they were dengar and botsk and zuckus and Forlom and ig88 ig88 story was great yeah it was all told from the point of view of you know this computer 
just really creative stories that really brought more and just there's so much to it. A lot of that got thrown out with the new canon. Some of it has been adopted back. Malakili, the Rancor Keeper from mm-hmm. Jedi, who cries when the Rancor's <laughs> killed. For some reason, they said there's a character. They brought him back into the canon <laughs> for some reason. as this big guy with no shirt and a towel on his head. Yeah. I, guess that's, I guess that's alien but, enough. But he loves his, his pet. He loves it, and, and he's a beast master, and he, yeah. they go into this whole thing. Like, he has this affinity with animals, and... But there was so much like, going on, and these stories told that, and it really fleshed out the world. It was like, after you read the books, those short stories, and again, they're kind of hit and miss. It's all a bunch of different authors. They all have limited space to tell the story. But there's some that really had an impact, and when you watched the Moss Eisley cantina scene after reading that book, you're like, I know that person's story. I know who that is. And I know why they're there. Yeah. Yeah. Which was really cool. So some of the authors that are on here, we've got Chuck Wendig, who's been sort of a big name in a lot of these expanded universe novels, the the new batch. The other names uh, I recognize on the list are Paul Dini, who's like, he's the creator of Harley Quinn. He He's the creator of most of the, the animated DC TV series that you love. He, he had a hand in. Another name on there is uh, Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. They're a writing team. Just coincidentally have the exact same name almost. They did the uh, the Thrilling Adventure Hour podcast, and they've also written for Deadpool and some other stuff. And the, the of the names that I recognized on there, the other one that really stood out to me is Meg Cabot, who wrote The Princess Diaries. Huh. Yeah. Sort of an interesting, seems seems the, and the odd one out, but hey, who knows? Maybe it'll be the best one. We will find out in just a few months. It's coming out this year. It's available for pre-order now. We want to go. I mean, we're certainly going to get it because it has Star Wars on the cover, and that's, sure. that fulfills all my requirements. <laughs> so we'll let you know, but it might be worth a read. Number four on the list, uh, from Star Wars to Star Trek. Uh, this We missed this one last... It happened right before our episode, and there was other stuff to talk about. Um, but Star Trek Discovery's been getting a lot of casting news lately. And they've casted an unexpected character, Definitely. might be the best way to describe it. You know, when all this casting was happening, we, we heard about Sarek, and that sort of made sense. He's Spock's dad. It, you can justify him being in there. But this one, this one stood out as being especially unexpected. I mean, he was only in three episodes of the original series. And that's only if you count the animated series. Harcourt Fenton Mudd. Yeah. Harry (laughs) Mudd. To his friends, of which there are none. (laughs) Uh, His first, it was episode two or episode three of the original series. Pretty early on. He was set up as, I mean, he's he's a scoundrel and a liar and a cheat and a foil to Captain Kirk. Yeah, very much Um, a criminal and and unashamed of it. Yeah. He's a con man. Yeah. Um, and he's hilarious and a blast to watch on screen. Every time he shows up, he's got some ridiculous plot that blows up in his face that right. the Enterprise crew suffers through. A good antagonistic relationship with, with Kirk. He was played by Roger C. Carmel in the original series, fantastically. I don't know what else to say about him. He's just a great performer, a great performance. And he hasn't been really part of larger Star Trek. Like, it's, like, Star Trek calls on its own history a lot. You know, yeah. a lot of the original series cast found ways to propagate into the movies and then often into Next Generation. And de- But nobody even talks about Harry Mudd. No. I'm sure he showed up in some of the novels here and there. But... Yeah, he's in the Starfleet Academy game. Right. Like in one of the space simulations, you, 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 the, the cadets have to you know, solve a Harry Mudd mystery. <laughs> or it turns out, of course, that he, he's responsible for everything terrible because he's greedy. Uh, but he's going to be in Star Trek Discovery. 
And he's going to be played by Rain Wilson, who was Dwight Schrute on The Office. That's his, like, big claim to fame. Which is a big claim to fame. Yeah. I mean, Dwight's hilarious. Yeah, definitely. It's It uh, does seem, like, kind of odd casting. He doesn't physically resemble Harry Mudd at all, at least not typically. Well, I mean, if you, you know, shave his head and throw some mustachios on him. I like, you know, so. some real Yosemite Sam, <laughs> you know, fa- face whiskers. Then, like, you've got the basics covered. Yeah, put on a few pounds. <laughs> that too. <laughs> It, it's uh, it, it seems like a weird thing to do because there's lots of cool things that could tie Discovery to the original series, and Harry Mudd is a joke, mm-hmm. so that's, it'd be fun to see him. But I guess it also adds an element to the show that you wouldn't normally have because, especially in Star Trek, like everyone's been to Starfleet Academy, right? Like everyone is this 23rd century upstanding moral, you know, like we've evolved from that. So having Harry Mudd gives us someone we can identify with almost. I don't know. I don't especially identify with him, but Jesse, if you do, that's, that's... <laughs> yeah. Thanks for backing me up on that one. He gets a, like it's a more human character than the Federation humans. Is yeah. what I'm trying to say. So they and could... you know the show is is they're talking about how it's going to be adult and there's going to be swearing and there's going to be sex. But if you have him there, he he can lighten the tone a little bit. Yeah. You know the uh, I Mud the episode with where he has a planet full of androids is one of the funnier original series episodes. Mm. And, you know, the first time we see him, like, his scam is that, you know, he's selling women to minors to be wives. Yeah. And, and look, it was, they, they weren't the most progressive plots. No, but if you're, <laughs> like, that's what I'm saying. Is like, if you're going to be exploiting that kind of, you know, the, the, the sexy bad guy thing, that right. you need, like, if they want to do that, I guess Harry, like, unless they want to reintroduce the Ferengi, which, I'm kidding, by the way, they did that in <laughs> Enterprise and it was terrible, so please don't do that. Yeah. So since you're not doing that, I guess bringing in Harry Mudd is the way to do it. He's the closest thing to a Ferengi that existed before Star Trek The Next Generation, I I guess. Yeah. So the other little bit of news from this is just a confirmation of something that we already knew, is that uh, Sonequa Martin-Green, who played Sasha on The Walking Dead, has officially been announced as the star of the show. So just got to put that out there. We talked about it in a previous episode, but now it's official. It's there. So we know who's going to be in the show. We still don't know very much about it. Haven't seen much about it. But throwing Harry Mudd into the mix, like it's at least it's going to be a lot more three D than let's, we expected. It's, let's just say it muddies the water. Hey, okay. I'm glad you did it this time. <laughs> Number three in our list. Um, hmm. So, so you know how like everything is better. When it's dark and gritty and terrible, like Batman versus Superman, Suicide Squad, even Man of Steel, really. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're picking on uh, one side of the fence here, but... I guess. The point I'm getting at is everything is so dark and gritty these days. So, why not take something that's completely not dark and gritty at all and make it hard R-rated? Well, yeah. I, so, let's... let's. Yeah, we're dancing around... This is about Mega Man. Mega Man was a video game character that started on the the original Nintendo Entertainment System. He's a little blue robot who shoots things out of his hand. He fights other robots. Yeah, he's definitely very inspired by Astro Boy. If you're looking for like a a more common thing to compare it to, he's got a red dog that turns into a thing that he can ride. And yeah, the robot dog Rush turns into a jet or a submarine or whatever. Yeah, he's had a ton of video games. He's had a cartoon Super Fighting Robot Mega Man, which is hilarious. It is such a kid's pro- like theme. Mm-hmm. You know, he fights 
all these themed enemies, like all the other robots. So there's Cutman, whose theme is that he like he fights with scissors, essentially. <laughs> Fireman fights with fire. Bomb Man uses bombs. He's he's essentially an eighties cartoon made into a video game. Yeah. So Addy Shanker, who he, he was a producer behind Dread, I guess, is his biggest thing. He also has um, some executive producer credits on The Grey and Killing Them Softly. All pretty gritty, dark things. Yeah. He wants to do a hard R Mega Man. Now, to be fair, this was said in an interview on a, uh, a real small-time website. Yeah, listen, let me, I'll, let me I, yeah, we can say right now, no one's picking that up. Yeah, the only reason this is news, like, the only reason we even know about this interview is because it was a slow news day, I guess, when it was said, and it and just it's, spread like wildfire. It's preposterous. It's preposterous. And it, it carries on to this theme that we've discussed on the show before, is what it is, is trying to appeal to a target audience who's grown up. It's, you know, the people who are playing Mega Man, and The Legend of Zelda, and the Ninja Turtles, and Transformers have grown up, and as much as they want to see their childhood icons, they don't want to see them directed towards children. So the way that they've, the way that whoever it is, like Hollywood or producers or the zeitgeist in general, have decided to deal with that is by making it dark and mature. Yeah. And that has not always worked. I think part of the reason this guy has decided to go this way is he has produced or directed, I'm not entirely sure, these, these YouTube shorts that have taken other properties like Power Rangers and made a dark and gritty twist on them. Like his Power Rangers short featured Katie Sackhoff and James Vanderbeek and it was all like real grim and gritty. Yeah. And that was super popular. So maybe he, he took the wrong lesson from it. Maybe. Like the, like the reason that was a short because there's no way to make a whole movie out of right. that. And no one wants to see a whole movie out of it. It's a fun little lark for a one-off to be like, ah, wouldn't it be funny if they had done this? But you can't. You can't do a whole movie of it. I, I don't even think you can do a whole movie of Mega Man and make it, like, a real movie. Not really, no. There has been talks about that sort of thing before, and it's never gotten off the ground. Yeah. Now, to be fair, there are a lot of spin-offs to Mega Man. Um, another popular one is the Mega Man X franchise, which is basically the plot of X-Men copy and pasted onto Mega Man. <laughs> Instead of mutants, you have androids. Instead of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, you have the Mavericks. Like it's you know, and then you have like the few good androids who are gonna fight the bad androids to try so androids and humans can live. Maybe he wants to do something there, but on the whole, there are some things that what you, what's gonna be next on the dark and gritty Teddy Ruxpin? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd I'd watch that actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's just some people I think like as a society I think we need to step back from the dark and gritty brink because things some things are just meant to be happy. Now, the other thing about this is that he does have a Castlevania animated series in the works, and uh, maybe all of this was just a way to get some more eyes on, on that property. Maybe, but Castlevania is it's, it's a horror movie, essentially. It's all the horror movies put into one, into a video game. You got right. Dracula, you got Wolfmen, a whole bunch. Like, that fits. You can do a dark and gritty horror movie. That works. Yeah. Mega Man, not so much. I am 100% confident it will never happen, but that needs to be a life lesson for all of you out there. <laughs> Moving right along, this was almost number one, because I, I love it so much. We saw our trailer for Thor Ragnarok, yeah. or alternate subtitle, Asgardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So this is Thor 3, you know, the third one in the Thor franchise. We've known it's been coming for a long time. Yeah, it's 
It's it's one of the more recent Marvel movies that has a, a director attached to it that has like more than one movie to his name. <laughs> is, the, the director is uh, Taika Waititi. He did uh, uh, this vampire mockumentary called uh, What We Do in the Shadows. He also did a, a great little indie movie set in New Zealand. I think he's from New Zealand called uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. Both really good stuff. So it's cool to see someone with a really distinct interesting style get to take a spin with the Marvel characters and not be shackled necessarily. What they're doing in this trailer is kind of unexpected, I guess, but really it it really highlights the difference between the first Thor movie and where Thor is now. Like Thor, the original movie was presented as really this mythology tale. Yeah. And, you know, and Thor had the whole fish out of water thing, but he was, you know, ye ancient god amongst the mortals with all that. And we've seen in all the other movies, the Avengers movies and Captain America movies that he's been in where he's sort of mellowed a little. Yeah, gotten a bit more used to humanity and become a bit more of a regular guy. And now they're throwing him back into this crazy, like, mythological, well, partly mythological world. If you see in the trailer, he sort of ends up in Guardians of the Galaxy world. Yeah. And like, he's sort of, he's still funny and still like he's, like that, what I'm trying to say is that there's a difference between the traditional Thor and the Thor we're seeing now, and bringing all the elements of traditional Thor back at him is making for a really cool contrast. Mm-hmm. And we've got uh, some new characters that have been introduced. We've got Kate Blanchett as Hela, which woo. <laughs> <laughs> Let me t- uh, yeah. They they brought the, the headdress from the comics, yeah, I which mean, is so eighties. Well, technically sixties. Sixties, uh, yeah. Jack Kirby's design come to life. Uh, this thing that you never thought would be possible to do in real life. Yeah, just, she's wearing like, it. it. Like horns meet antlers. Yeah, but it it's okay. <laughs> And it looks it looks really good, and the shot where we see it, it's it's this very stylized shot. So you don't it doesn't it doesn't necessarily make sense for her to be wearing it the whole movie, and you don't see her in it very much. But for that one shot, it looks pretty yeah. spectacular. And we notice a lot of the Thor characters don't wear their helmets very often. Yeah, Loki's supposed to have the big horns too, but he doesn't do it very often. And you know, in the comics, Thor always wears a winged helmet, and we we actually went back and watched the trailer for for Thor one and saw he does have it in that, but you don't really see him wearing the helmet much. In this, he wears like this futuristic version of it when he's about to fight in the gladiator arena. Yeah. And I thought that was a great touch. I think it's actually from somewhere. I, I, like I know in that shot, like like Hulk is wearing his Planet Hulk yeah. gladiator. That's right yeah. off the pages. The helmet might be too. It could be. Um, but in case, the whole thing is filmed with this sort of 80s like even the logo looks I, a lot like word art. I love the title treatments where they like the, the letters is like spiral yeah, behind, like lasers and yeah. neon oh, and stuff. It's got, so good. It, they're definitely putting it into that era, and part of that it, it seems to be they're making it a lot like Guardians of the Galaxy with like sort of the classic rock and the weird space age colors. Yeah, you know we see Jeff Goldblum playing the role of Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> uh, but no, he's the Grandmaster. Yeah, who's another? He's on the level of the the Collector. Yeah, so, who was played by Benicio del Toro in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie? Yeah, so like they're, they're bringing in that space stuff. See, oh, like his his whole shtick in the comics, he I believe was introduced in the Contest of Champions, and it was just an excuse to pit Marvel superheroes against each other. So to have him be there and be the one who pits Hulk and Thor together, it's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. 
for those of you paying attention, this is going to explain where Hulk and Thor were since they weren't involved with Civil War. Right. I mean, besides those funny little shorts that we released about Thor and Team Thor, which were great, probably not canon, <laughs> this will fill in that hole. But it also feels like this has the opportunity to start tying it all together. Mm-hmm. Like, we know Doctor Strange is going to be in this movie. We've seen that already. Yeah. Which, by the way, which means we're going to have Benedict Cumberbatch and Tom Hiddleston on the screen. Like, well, I don't know if we'll see them together. Oh, man, they'd be missing out if they didn't. <laughs> but we'll get there. Um, but so this here's a way to tie the Guardians into it because they're bringing in the Marvel space stuff. Yeah. And Thor can introduce that, like bring them back to the Earth stuff. Is how they can connect there. Like we're starting to build towards Infinity War. We are almost certainly going to see the last Infinity Stone yeah. in this movie. So they'll all be laid out, and we see that Thanos has already gotten the gauntlet. Like this is the start of the end game for this phase of the MCU, and it's very exciting. One of the things that I really liked about this trailer is you get tastes and teases of a lot of stuff, but it doesn't explain anything, really. Like, it gives you enough that you say, I want to see this movie, but, you know, your complaint about the the Spider-Man trailer was it tells you everything. This tells you nothing. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on. Like, we know Idris Elba's character is back and in it. We Heimdall. Heimdall. We know uh, Loki's in it. We don't know how that happens, what, uh, yeah, what happened to Odin. We see him fighting, but we don't know whose side he's fighting on. Yeah. Uh, Hela seems to destroy Asgard. We don't know what that's about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, a lot, there's a lot to look into. One thing I want to leave you with. I've been told this is insane. But this is insane speculation time. We don't know what Thanos' endgame is in the MCU. But what we know about the character... We've talked about this on the show before, is that he's in love with death. Right. Which, like, not like in a 14-year-old, like, <laughs> kind of way, but like, like he sees death as a woman that he's in love with. Hela, in her role in the comics, is the Norse, like, well, I mean, not so much in Norse mythology, but in the comics, she's the goddess of death. Yeah, for the, for Thor and the Asgardians. for Thor. So introducing a whole, like, maybe Thanos and Hela, like, maybe that's going to be part of something that builds towards Infinity War. And I mean, and if you have Kate Blanchett cast, maybe she's, if she's filling that role for Thanos, like, that could be part of something huge. I am crazy, I have, there's... No, it's all speculation, but I'm thinking this might be where we're going. And I wanted it to be one of those things, like, if it turns out I was right, right. I want everyone to be super impressed. <laughs> and it's it's a, a crazy enough theory that if it doesn't come to pass, people can just be like, oh, crazy old Jesse, and no one will ever really remember it. But if you're right... Yeah, then I look like a genius. Yeah. So that's out there. But I think <laughs> that might be where we're going. I'm very excited. I'm going to say I don't think that's likely. Fair enough. All right. Number one, we moments before we started recording... <laughs> We watched this. We saw the first trailer for the Last Jedi. Yes, the new Star Wars movie directed by Ryan Johnson, coming to theaters this Christmas. And they just showed it. We we finished recording our guest segment and turned on the live feed from Celebration, like with two minutes to spare <laughs> to catch the trailer. Watched it twice, and then we frame by frame it because we're so excited. Oh man, you can't tell. I mean, you can't tell from trailers how good a movie's going to be, but from this trailer, I'm very excited. Yeah. Um. First, I mean, okay, go watch the trailer. We'll wait. Okay, welcome back. So, first impressions. So what do we see? We see Luke training Rey. Well, we knew that was going to happen. It's really cool. It's really well presented. He's saying, what do you see? She sees light and darkness. She's like, so she's doing some force meditation stuff. We see Leia, like doing stuff, public stuff. We think it's Leia. We're pretty sure it's Leia. Pretty sure it's Leia. And we hear like, you know, we hear the... 
The same way Rey hears whispers in her Force vision and Force Awakens, we hear a lot of whispering in this trailer. Yeah. When that scene's playing, we hear Leia, like the classic movie Leia under it. It sounds like it's the Help Me Obi-Wan line. So we see Leia and it looks like she's doing Republic stuff. We see a smashed Kylo Ren mask. Yeah. Which actually kind of makes sense because we, we, as far as we know, he left the mask on Starkiller Base, right? I think so. Chewie shoots him. And that's the last week. Like he's he's has the, he's taken the mask off and set it aside at that point, and we never see that mask again. Um, but we see the mask smashed, and we hear some whispering about the dark side. We see a shot of some books in a tree, and we hear some Yoda, and we see someone like you know, looking at like it looks like a really old book with a ye olde Jedi logo in it. So okay, Luke's training Ray. We've got that. There, she's we see her swinging the lightsaber around in a wide shot. Very cool. We see some space battles. There definitely seem to be the descendants of the of the Nebulon B frigates, of the of the you know, the rebel Too much frigate ships. Too much Fair detail. enough. <laughs> what else do we see? We see that Phasma is back. We see her like leading a group yeah, of First Order troopers it. out of the fire for a fraction of a second, but yeah. she's there. So obviously she didn't take a lot of heat for lowering the shields and letting them blow up Starkiller well, Base. I don't think we can read too much into any of it because it's like. Is that a flashback? Is that... What, what is that? Maybe she's got a, a group of rebel stormtroopers that she's taken away from the First Order. Maybe. I'm thinking Occam's Razor here. All right. If, uh, you know, the First Order officer walking with a bunch of First Order stormtroopers... Um, what else did we see? We, we saw Kylo. We saw Kylo Ren, and he still has his junk saber. Yeah. Which is interesting, because there's a lot of speculation that part of his finishing his training... Was going to be building like a real lightsaber, but I guess the like the cross saber now is really iconic for that character. It's pretty cool. It's it's pretty cool. It really grew on me. He's got the scar on his face. Yeah, the Ray gave him. Yeah. Oh, so satisfying that moment. <laughs> we get we get a shot of Finn. It looks like he's still unconscious or in a coma, which I was surprised by. I mean, yeah. I guess he needs to start the the movie unconscious since he was. We ended the last movie with him unconscious, but I figured. He would have a, an important role to play in this one, and so far, all we see is him have sleepy time. Yeah, the, the immediate following shot is Poe Dameron running through explosions. Yeah, like he's, yeah. he, he's still Poe Dameron. Like he's still the you know, action hero five. <laughs> it looks like they're blowing up his black X-Wing, though. It's really painful to me. But BB-8's still around. But BB-8's still there. That's true. Gotta love BB-8. Um, I guess, listen, we saw all this stuff, and you can go see it in the trailer. I don't know why we're going over it in so much detail. <laughs> The killer is the the line that closes the trailer is Luke Skywalker saying it's time for the Jedi to end. Okay, so you had a really cool theory about this. Go yeah. for it. My theory for this, and again, this is like 30 seconds after the trailer was released, is that we've been hearing a lot about balance in the Force, about the light side versus the dark. Even during that little training thing with Luke and Rey, it's I see light, I see darkness, there's a balance. And Luke is saying it's so much bigger. So, maybe he's thinking, if there's no more Jedi, then maybe that means there doesn't have to be any more Sith. I imagine he's probably thinking that, because he tried to train a bunch of Jedi, including his own nephew, who fell to the dark side and sort of restarted this whole thing. Like, this galaxy seems to be cursed with this recurring cycle of these damn space wizards ruining (laughs) everything for everybody, over and over. So, if if Luke is feeling guilty enough to say, like, is this my fault? like... For a while, I was the only Force guy left, and I tried to bring it back, and now we have a a war again? Maybe he's thinking, "Eh, it's time for that to stop. But then why is he training Rey? 
I can, listen, uh, I can, there's a lot. There's a lot uh, to speculate about. This could that. be an entirely separate episode of Geek Top Five. Yeah. I could go uh, on about this. I could go get a drink. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know what I've done. <laughs> what about you? What did you pull from this? Uh, I think it looks good. Uh, when Force Awakens was was coming out, I watched the first trailer and then I purposely separated myself. I didn't watch any more trailers. You missed I think, a good trailer. I'm sure. Uh, I think because of this show, I'm not going to be able to do it this time, which I think is a shame because it was sort of fun going into the movie without knowing anything. Yeah, you still could. You could you could go in Virgin. I could catch everything. Well, we'll see. All right. Uh, the other thing is, you know, we learned from Rogue One that the trailers don't necessarily tell you anything. <laughs> That's true. Or have any shots in them that are actually from the movie. Yeah. So... <laughs> You know, it gives us a, a sense of the, the tone of the movie, which seems somewhat uh, somber, which is appropriate. Yeah, it's act two, right? Yeah. This is supposed to be when you know, the characters are stuck up a tree and having rocks thrown at them. Yeah, so, uh, you know, that's all I'm trying to take away from it. There's some beautiful shots, like uh, Ray levitating little pebbles. Uh, yeah, while she's trying to... Cool. It looks like it's going to be darker. It looks like it's going to be more somber. It looks like it's going to be more serious. And it looks like it's telling its own story. Yeah. Which was one of the unfounded criticisms for Force Awakens. But yeah, it looks like they're taking it in its own direction. And we just, and it's Star Wars. Blah, 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 drool, drool, drool. We can't wait. We also didn't see any of the, the new characters. And I don't remember... I don't think they've necessarily said who they are. And if they have, it doesn't matter. But, but we know who's cast. Yeah, yeah. Like Laura Dern is in it. And she wasn't in the trailer. And... Uh, uh, there's a new young woman who was cast. She's not in the trailer. She was on the stage doing the presentation, but uh, didn't see her in the trailer. So there's still a lot of mystery with it. Uh, obviously, it's a like barely a two minute teaser. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot to learn, and uh, I don't know. I kind of I I would like to go in without knowing any more, but I don't know if I'll be able to resist. Well, what's happening now? Like the hype train has left the station. And it's done so very strongly. Nothing in this trailer has is leaving anyone con- with concerns. Right. And for the, until Christmas, they are going to be parceling out these little bits to keep us hyped. And and, and I am I am shamelessly on board. <laughs> so that was the best of the news that was fit to air. Uh, we'll be right back with our special guest segment. So please stay tuned. Geek Top Five. Back for the second half of the show, we've got an excellent top five list from a, a super Geek Top 5 alumni. The sort of alumni that if you were to put it together, a Geek Top 5 list of Geek Top 5 guests, this guest would be on there because she was in our first episode, Kylie. Hello. And also a number of other things over the years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she wasn't just like the pilot. But that is an important one. I like being in the pilot. Yeah. The cage of Geek Top 5. <laughs> Uh, so, what uh, what list do you have for us this time, Kylie? Okay, so we're going to do the top five Joss Whedon, um, I guess, projects. It's pretty timely, because uh, it was just announced that he's working on a Batgirl movie. That's and, cool. And he's just geek royalty. He, he definitely is. definitely is. geek royalty. So really, it's going to be more interesting to see what's not on this list than what's on it. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. But uh, from somebody who I think has you've absorbed just about everything he's ever done. Yeah, yeah, I try mm-hmm. to as much. You know, I came in late though. Like a lot of his stuff, I didn't watch. Besides Buffy, I didn't watch as it aired. Like Firefly came in late. Now nobody watched Firefly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Even if they wanted to, it wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah, we'll cycle back to that. I assume. Yes. Um, anyway, let's. Sorry, I'm I'm driving us way off course here. Let's let's get to the list. Uh, so, what's the number five on there? 
Okay, so number five, we have Avengers. So, so the we'll start slow. Yeah, <laughs> starting slow, the Avengers right. is one of the biggest, like most. You know, they think it made one. Like, what, it's what top three, like most profitable movies uh, of all I don't time. Know. Those lists keep changing as every day movie ticket prices go up. But yeah. so uh, let me just be clear here: Are we just talking about the first Avengers movie, or are we talking about that and the sequel? Um, I was going based on just the first Avengers wow. because poor Ultron. I know, but a lot. That's what a lot of people say. Poor Ultron. <laughs> oh. Um, but so for me, this one, I mean, I think for most people, it was like the big bringing all of these superheroes together. It was, you know, the first sort of on screen we had seen of, you know, Iron Man, everyone together. And I think, you know what he, for what it's worth, Ultron was eh. But this one though, like, I don't know. I loved it. Some people didn't love it. I am obsessed with this movie. I, I'm, I mean, people can't see your facial reaction. So I'm with you. I liked Ultron as well. I did. But I, I will it. concede the Avengers was a fin- like Ultron was great. Avengers was phenomenal. Oh yeah. And as the like the well, the end product of all this work of like ten years almost of planning of building towards it. Yeah. Like, what a huge payoff. Yeah. Yeah, and like I, I just I remember like literally trying to go see this movie, and it was everywhere. Like it was like. Multiple screens and every complex, and it was like the coolest thing to kind of be a, be able to go and experience this. And like for such a nerd mecha director, like it's like so kind of cool that he got to take it on. Yeah, I feel like he probably doesn't like the fact that that's sort of his golden work. Well, like, I still think you know Buffy is probably his his golden work. I think Avengers is is his. Uh, it, it's so collaborative. Like there were so yeah. many people involved in that one hmm. and he had a big hand in it but my understanding is he sort of came in late on it and and tried to make it his own but but uh, he saved know. it didn't he like that's the story yeah i mean it's like what he, he directed it and he wrote it like that's that's pretty you know right but <laughs> you know marvel is sort of notorious for having some heavy hands in the background that have uh, that shape the way the universe is going and, you know joss only had could only really work with stuff that had already been set out in the previous movies like thor captain america yeah. iron man hulk had all already been established even hawkeye to a certain extent and black widow she was in yeah. iron man 2 so all that groundwork was already laid out and he just had to mold it. I guess the Hulk he had a bit more leeway with since they had a new Hulk for this one. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think I, you can kind of see, like you said, like where the groundwork was laid and where it's going. and But you can kind of still, there is like the, jo- the Joss-isms in it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like Coulson, like all of that stuff. Like he got to really kind of play with a little bit. But you can definitely see that it is a Marvel machine. Even him, like as a person talking about it now, when he talks about doing Marvel and that stuff, you can tell that he kind of was like, yeah, it's, you know what, I'm glad I got out of it. Like, it's a bit of a machine. It's a bit <laughs> yeah. of a, you know. But it's so weed me. Yeah. Like, the, the way characters talk to each other and react to one another, like, that sort of everybody's kind of a smart, like, smart aleck. Yeah. yeah. Like, quipping wit. It's all over that movie. And it's, it's something that it would have been easy to, to mess up. Like, to have these larger-than-life heroic figures also sort of be bros. Yeah. Like, that that could go wrong in so many different ways, but yeah. he didn't. He got it. He hit, he hit the mark. People can say it's not their favorite movie, but nobody dislikes that movie, right. do no, they? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so much fun, and it's, it's, you know, it's not a big... It's not a movie that, that has a lot to say about the human condition or anything like that, but it is so fun, it just takes you right out of, you know, the real world. It takes you right into that world, and you want to be part of it, and you never want it to end. Uh, it is it is pretty solid, and it's got a great Joss Whedon sort of 
calling card to it with the the jokes that you're not expecting. You know what I mean? Like like the Thor is is uh, or no, someone is like bad mouthing Loki, and Thor says he's my brother, and then he's like, oh, he just killed how many people, and then he says. Mm-hmm. Well, he's adopted. It's just like these little jokes that they they make it so much better because you're not expecting a joke in that sort of moment. But it does fit. I hear yeah. what you're saying. For the record, looked it up. Uh, it costs two hundred and twenty million to make, Oof. which is an expensive as heck movie. Um, it made one thousand five hundred and nineteen million back, or one point <laughs> five billion. Um, so I'm sure they're perfectly happy letting Joss yeah. spend that kind of money again. Uh, also, fun fact, was Whedon's idea to have Thanos at the end. Really? Oh, that was yeah. him. Which is kind of weird, because that's the whole direction the MCU is going now. That was him. Well, that was just Whedon. I didn't realize that. He is the, the uh, I mean, going by Buffy and Angel, he did set this trend of, of having a big bad for the season. And it, the Marvel movies are nothing if not a, a long a, a season of movies. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so do you want to move on to number four on the list? Yeah, which is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I put on here because now I, when I was growing up, I remember I probably was too young to be watching it, but I was watching it and I remember just loving it and seeing it as like the first, like for me, I mean, one of the first female, like badass stories. Like, I, and I think that that's sort of from what I've read and what I know of the, the project, Joss did that. This is his first, like he did it to get rid of the classic blonde female who gets goes down the alley and gets murdered in horror films and so it's kind of a neat sort of um and this was was this his like first real known sort of tv work or i I mean i know he worked on roseanne as a writer Uh, yeah but but (laughs) what we think of when you think of joss whedon yeah like that's that's not very apparent in roseanne it's extremely (laughs) apparent like so, like, when I think about, like, we were just talking about in the Avengers, that quipping, like, I yeah. think of that, like, before I knew who Joss Whedon was, I'd say it's like Buffy. Right. Yeah, yeah. That was sort of his his playground for that, that kind of presentation. And, you know, what, like, with all TV shows, there's a writer's room, but I think Joss would, you know, he wouldn't, his name wasn't on every episode as a writer, but he would basically rewrite all the scripts to make it sound consistent. You know, he wouldn't come up with all the ideas necessarily or write the, the structure, but he'd go in and, and redo the dialogue and whatnot to make it more, you know, Whedon-esque. Whedon-esque. Uh, but yeah, it's, he's, it's, it's a, an impressive feat to be the creative force behind that show for seven years and then to have uh, the spinoff with Angel, which isn't on the list. I would argue that Angel falls under the Buffy umbrella. Sure. Yeah. Um, same kind of show. A little bit different in tone, but the same idea, like you talked about. So it's episodic, but with a serialized arc. Yeah. Especially towards the later seasons, yeah. really episodic goes away. It's really just a serialized yeah. arc. <laughs> yeah. But with the quippy characters where everyone has sort of a dry wit, and like you can still make a joke, but deals with serious themes. And as much as Avengers talked about, like, you know, like what a family is, Buffy was what? It was female empowerment. Yeah. I guess it was also kind of family yeah. In a way, it was about being different, yeah, about fitting different. in. It, um, it was very well targeted to its teenage audience, I think. Yeah. 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 And, like, now, how many years has it been since Buffy? I mean, they just did the reunion on uh, online. They did all the I think pictures. That was 20 years. Buffy, 20 years, I thought. Buffy was 97 to 2003. Okay, okay. So it was 
It's not bad. So it's, uh, yeah, it's so been a while. 20 yeah. years since it started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they just did the reunion, which is kind of cool to see all the pictures. I mean, they've been doing that with every show now, but yeah. it is still kind of cool to see mm. them all back together. And it's one of those beloved shows and beloved franchises that you know, it, people don't want it to stop. It, it also is the, the another another Joss trend came out of that where it's like the the heart rending oh, yeah. deaths of characters. You know, oh, is that the origin of him killing people we love? Is yeah, that I how think that so? Works? He I loves mean, to do that. There's uh... because they killed John Goodman on Roseanne, right? Was that him? <laughs> I don't think that was like, him. Yeah, I'll <laughs> so if not that, so if John Goodman wasn't the first person he killed, then I guess it was Tara. Is the Tara or he kills? Buffy's mom. Buffy's mom. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. That was a big one. Uh, Buffy herself died in at the end of season four or five or well, something. Well, yeah, but that's yeah, a yeah, cliffhanger. They yeah. bring her back. Well, okay, so let me ask this then. So, like, Avengers is kind of low on the list because it's not entirely his thing. It's very successful, but it's also a Marvel thing. Buffy is his thing. What about it doesn't propel it to the top three? You know what? For me, Buffy, I think it's because I was so young. Maybe it's because when I, like, when I started, it was something that I was, like, a bit younger. It wasn't, for me, what Firefly was always, like, that was my Joss thing. Like, I, that was the thing that I got into. And I got into that later. So mm. Buffy, for me, was, like, early on, which you think would shape me. But I, at the time, I didn't know who he was. Or I didn't, you didn't look at the creation of it, like, at that time when... And I was like in like, you know, like late elementary school, like high school. Like I didn't really look at who created the show. Whereas when I got into Firefly, I was in college. And that's when I like really was like, who is this guy? This is awesome. So I think another thing that that might make Buffy a little lower on the list is because it went for seven seasons. That's like there's 20 episodes uh, at least. So that's around 140 episodes. You're going to have some stinkers in there. It's not all going to be great. I know there everyone who's watched Buffy all the way through has those episodes where they're like, eh, not their finest hour. Even some of the weird. arcs. Yeah. Like, I know a lot of people are a big fan of the Evil Willow arc. Oh, I didn't but, love but that. But it takes forever. Yeah. Right. Nothing happens for a long time. It's like reading a Wheel of Time book. <laughs> like, some, like, some of that is, like, yeah, not all of Buffy is good. Yeah. And the same thing with Angel. There are big stretches of Angel, and it's no one's fault in particular, but there are stretches of that show where it gets, it gets pretty bad. But... I think with Angel, and the reason why I feel like we need to add some more Angel in here, is by the end, especially in the last season, it gets so good. Does it? You know, I it's, watch it. It's last season happened, I believe, after Buffy's last season. So they were able, they had a bit more freedom, and they could use some of the characters from Buffy and bring them into to mm-hmm. Angel. Right. And the interactions there are fantastic. I think Ugh. I think it's because for me, the reason I didn't watch Angel is because I just didn't love Angel on Buffy. Like, it wasn't like, right. he wasn't the one that I was like, I love this character, I need to follow this character continuously after. Like, so that's why I never really got into Angel. But I know a lot of people who are now binging it, like now at this yeah. point, and they've been saying, similar to what you're saying, is that it's really good at yeah. the end there. It's probably also a little more, like, we're really into dark and gritty right now, and Angel is the dark and gritty Buffy. I guess it, so, but like, even... But, like, ha- the, remember, the first half of Buffy is a high school drama. And as much as that there are cool monsters, there's also, like, why doesn't he love me? <laughs> but but I, I would argue that, that I think it's in season two when when Angel becomes Angelus and gets all evil. Yeah, and- see, there's an interesting message. If you sleep with a man, he loses his soul and becomes a horrible monster. <laughs> and, I mean, and kills your mentor's girlfriend. I'm legit going to have to watch this now. That's the- <laughs> <laughs> but in, in Angel... There's the the 
I think the pinnacle of the Whedon character who is beloved. Like he always takes a character that you can't possibly have anything against, and then kills them in the most horrible way. And like the way, like especially in Angel, it's a thing where you're like the whole episode you're going. Oh no, she'll be okay. They, it's, a, it's a magic thing. It's a thing. They can fix it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then it isn't. And it's just, ugh, daggers. And I mean, some people hate Joss Whedon for that, but I kind of love him because it's like, you have to be good in order yeah. to. Yeah. Bring Only up this someone. man has the courage to murder someone I care but, about. But yeah, do that's it what in great... such a way that it tears your heart out. You know? Yeah, I still don't forgive him for Serenity, though. Well, we'll get to that. Um, okay, so our next one, so number three, would be Astonishing X-Men, his comic run. Uh, so I put this on here because, um, as someone who, at the time, was just getting into comics, and on the Marvel side, I've been doing DC a lot, but just getting to Marvel, every time I'd gone into comic book stores, I kept saying, okay, I want to do X-Men, I want to do X-Men, what's a good run, what's a good run, and a lot of people kept saying, Astonishing X-Men, Joss Whedon's run, you gotta read it, you gotta read it. And I gave it a read through, and it does hold up. Like, I do enjoy it as um, as having, like you said uh, earlier, uh, a director coming in, like a Hollywood guy coming yeah. in and doing a comic book run, which is kind of neat. I mean, I for me, Kevin Smith's run of Green Arrow is fantastic. So it's like a kind of a sort of a thing. Um, hmm. But with Astonishing X-Men, what I really liked was the mutant cure that he brought into it. He brought Colossus back. You know, like, it's, it's, it's just a solid run. And the, the team that he has set up with, like, Beast, Kitty Pryde, um, uh, Wolverine, Cyclops, Cyclops, Emma, Emma Frost. Frost. Like it's just it's kind of a neat sort of group together. But Emma Frost is a bad guy for some of that run, isn't she? Uh, well, that's uh, it's complicated. That's complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I put it on because I thought it was a, is is one of a different thing from him. You know, we're used to him having TV, film. But I kind of like that this is something that he did, you know, separate from that. It doesn't really even tie in. It's not like a Buffy comic. Yeah. It's not like an Angel comic or whatever. It's like a different thing that he took on, which is kind of neat. But I think one of the things that's great about it is it shows his affinity for the 80s X-Men comics, which were all sort of soap opery and teenage uh, complications and stuff, which is all stuff that you see in Buffy, which is his, you know, his his main, you know, his, his main thing. Yeah. Buffy's his, his thing. He's angst. still doing Buffy stuff. <laughs> uh, so X-Men clearly was like a, a stepping stone for, for that, although this came after. But uh, you can see that the X-Men of the 80s influenced a lot of the stuff that, that came afterwards for Joss Whedon. And so for him to, to go and do something with those characters that obviously meant a lot to him is, is really great. And uh, once again, he has... Uh, uh, twist that puts a dagger in your heart there's some great beautiful moments of of characters reuniting there's some hilarious moments i mean i i I really don't want to spoil it but i'm i'm gonna have to (laughs) that one of the best things to come out of this was this issue where people do mental things to the x-men like to to they're taking over the mansion beast is turned into a literal beast he's he's lost his mind he's a a savage animal and wolverine is made to revert to his 18th century rich boy mindset. And the way it's written, it sounds like he's from a Jane Austen novel, but he's it's a Wolverine's body. He's still got the claws yeah. and everything. It is hilarious. Yeah. It does sound like a blast. I will also point out that this was the sentient danger room where they find the danger room, it turns out, is alive and is a woman scorned. <laughs> Which... I don't know about that. Am I the only? I feel like I'm the only one in the room who thought that was a little hokey. I mean, 
little, but I think uh, so. So when I, I mean, was... like, they did it cool. Like the whole thing yeah. was like you know, like Professor X knew all the time. Yeah. You know, what does that say about him? But just the character of like the living holodeck who builds herself into a sexy robot. She's not. She's not sexy. Well, she's well, <laughs> okay. She's she's form fitting. Okay. <laughs> I just I don't know. So the for me when I was first reading these comics I was getting them on on a monthly basis and there's there's 25 issues and I don't think all of them came out on time. So so we're talking over 2 years to read this storyline and a I, lot of it is intricately tied together. And so by the time I read the last issue they're referencing referencing stuff that happened in the early issues that I didn't remember. Even right. from issue to issue, that's a month between issues, and it's a pretty tightly contained story. Rereading it now for this list, I was really better able to appreciate how tightly written it was and how everything ties together. And the Danger Room stuff, I, I think I may have had more problems with it when I was reading it all disjointed. Right. But mm-hmm. altogether, it made a lot more sense. And there was some beautiful stuff in there, like uh, uh, this giant floating sentinel is is given sentience danger room can can give these other robots sentience and it it's this robot that had in a previous storyline destroyed the island of genosha had did killed an entire city's population and so it's it's brought back to life it's given sentience the x-men go in and take out this one block that it had so now it it realizes what it did like it realizes it's a living being now and it realizes it wiped out hundreds of thousands of other living beings and it feels bad and it like leaves the earth it stops its attack on the x-men and it has to leave to like come to terms with what it did and i think it's like a beautiful thing you know it's like it's it's a beautiful moment and a nice way of dealing with this giant robot threat is by making it cognizant of, right. of the horrible yeah. things who's the done. real monster yeah. here yeah <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> yeah. for me i i just really like what you do with kitty pride like i love that character and and having read the all new x-men stuff that's out now where she's already a teacher she's been a teacher for a while it's kind of nice to read like sort of her falling into that role in a way like you know coming back to the school and teaching and like I, I really like her as a character, and so I really like what he did with her when I, you know, when I started reading it and stuff. Yeah, so that was kind of my draw to it is that I like that character a lot, and you know, and I like the the cure and beast sort of like struggling with that, and and again, um, it also helped to inspire the Last Stand, X Men: The Last Stand, like which you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> trying not to hold it against it. Yeah, yeah. we were just talking to Ty Templeton about his thing inf- inspired the the Catwoman movie. Yeah, oh, it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take that what you will with that yeah, but, yeah. um but yeah so i i, I put that in there because i really like the the kitty pride stuff it, okay which is which is what i sort of gravitated to you obviously gravitated to a lot more different stuff which is kind of cool that it inspires different people in different ways for in a sense for some reason kitty pride has never really resonated with me i always thought it was because she was introduced in the 80s and a lot of people who were reading comics at that time identified with her and as like this is an outsider perspective on the x-men but by the time i was reading them she wasn't even in the the comics that much anymore she i don't know she just didn't have the same draw to me as someone like wolverine did or nightcrawler you know character i guess because i only started reading x-men 
uh, with the all new X Men, where she's a bit more center with the Guardians right. of the Galaxy stuff, crossovers and stuff like that. And so that's why I sort of was like, oh, I really like this character and like got into it. But I mean, I can see why you would be like, okay, Wolverine, like these are the yeah. ones that are, yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, there's certain things that are targeted to, you know, 12 year old boys and things <laughs> that are like, yeah, like, when, when, like, you know, when you're in, when you're in fifth grade and you're a boy, Wolverine is a lot more cooler than Kitty Pride. Yeah. Right. They can walk through walls. Okay, Wolverine's got claws. <laughs> That's just who yeah. we are growing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so number but, two on the list, we'll go with Cabin in the Woods. Let me let me just say quickly, okay. we can't talk about the Joss Whedon X Men stuff without acknowledging John Cassidy's art. He is brilliant. He's amazing, and he did the art on every single issue of that run, and it's fantastic. There, now we can okay. move on. You feel better? I you do. feel better. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> Cabin in the Woods. Okay. So, as someone who does not like horror films. It is surprising that this is on my list and at number two. Oh, man. As someone who loves horror films, this had to be on your list. Yeah. I'd be furious if it wasn't. This movie fills that niche perfectly. Oh, it's And you know what? Like it's I think it's because it's got the balance of the, the horror with the comedy that I was able to like enjoy it. Because I, I really I do not like horror films. They scare the crap out of me. Not a big fan. I know that's what they're supposed to do. I understand. Yeah. But it's not something that I normally go to. And I, had, I was dragged to see this in theaters with a friend. But again, I heard Joss Whedon was attached. So I was like, okay, cool. You know, And he only wrote it and produced. I think he produced it as well. I but think I know so. that he, he wrote it and didn't direct, which I thought was you know interesting. And so um, when I went in, I actually ended up... I mean, yes, I was still covering my eyes at points. Like the <laughs> elevator, like the whole bloody sort of ending scenario, which is right. awesome. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I really, really liked it. Um, and I just, it's so funny to me that as someone who is not a horror fan, I enjoyed it so much. It was directed by Drew Goddard, if that's what you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. They they co-wrote it together from what I know. So, so yeah, Drew Goddard has gotten to some pretty cool stuff, but, uh, yeah, Kevin in the Woods, I, um, I have a a love-hate thing with it. I, I really like the beginning. I love the conceit of it. I love all the ideas behind it. I, we, we're gonna like we're gonna we can spoil the the, the yeah, shot there, yeah. right? Yeah, this is yeah this is 2012. I feel like statute of limitations on that's up. <laughs> sure. Okay. On the off chance you haven't seen Cabin in the Woods, just skip ahead now. <laughs> so yeah, the idea of having that the horror movie is being staged yeah, by people so who are trying, like, who have their own like sort of horror movie reasons, but who are trying to make a horror movie happen. It becomes a very meta thing where they're really poking fun at the tropes of horror movies. At the same time as exploring them and doing them really well. Yeah. So you're not a fan of horror movies. You can enjoy it because it sort of takes you away yeah. from the yeah. horror of it. If you are a fan of horror movies, you can enjoy it because it's pointing out like, okay, here's all these stupid yeah. things about it. Here's the parts you like, but here's why they're dumb and how they need to change. It occupies a really good middle ground where it can appeal to everyone like that. And I think it's been argued sort of unintentionally that it sort of re-jump-started that kind of horror movie. Right. Like, it's it's sort of making fun of the torture porn slasher yeah. horror flick. But we've seen more and more of those since Cabin yeah. in the Woods. Like, it did that job really well. Yes. Uh... So the ultimately the the idea is there's there's a shadowy organization that's that's putting these horror movie uh, tropes together in order to to sacrifice teenagers to these like gods. the old gods the old gods, <laughs> yeah, these, the gods. these Lovecraftian yeah. gods and I'm with the movie all the way up until that point and then it loses me right something about that just it seems almost like. Uh, Deus Ex Machina, some some sort of like it's a it's like they needed an ending, and I don't find it that satisfying. But everything that leads up to that ending, I'm I'm all in for. It it definitely works much better as a mystery. Yeah, you know, I agree. Once everything's laid out, 
You're just waiting for it to end. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's some, like, because of you know, Whedon's irreverence for things like genres and characters' lives, there's some mystery about how it's going to end. You really don't know who's going to make it through this movie. Yeah. And, spoiler alert, nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's much more interesting when you're sitting there going, what the hell is going on? Yeah. yeah. And, like, I, I just love, like, the guys taking bets on who's going to die next and, like, just, like, all the humor that, like you said, as a fan of somebody who's not a fan of horror film, I was able to, like, distance myself from the completely scary parts of the movie because of the humor that was laid in there, of the control room and all those guys in the control room just... Yeah, which is part of the meta, because yeah. the guys in the control room are distancing themselves from the yeah. horror. And as we see through the movie, that turns into, like, that's exposed as a character flaw. Yeah. Right. Is that, it's like, if you're able to distance yourself from this, like, that's no good. But, like, I will say what is really cool about it is um, in that sort of, I guess, control room building where they have all those monsters, the different monsters and the different things in those cages, like, in those, like, sort of, I guess would they be cages or yeah. Yeah, capsules? Yeah. Um, that I just thought that was a really cool um, like production design, like some of those those monsters for a movie that like doesn't really need the monsters in it. Like it's just kind of neat some of the things that they came up with there in the end, like when they all get loose and like uh, shit goes down. Yeah, there's constantly a cool thing. things, and like there's definitely references. There's like Pennywise. They don't use the word Pennywise, but Pennywise yeah. is in there. Yeah, and, like, there's a werewolf. Yeah. There's a mat. There's, there's a unicorn. There's, yeah. A, yeah, there's the unicorn, <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah, there are a couple of the the super zombies from Left for Dead are in there okay. because they were originally planning to do like a cross promotion uh, thing. Oh, really? So I think you can see a boomer in there. Mm. Oh, that's a couple, cool. I didn't yeah. know that. I'll have to rewatch. It's 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 mostly just that wide shot yeah, where you okay, see yeah. all the monsters, but you can find them in there. They even have a, a thing with the sort of Japanese horror movie tropes yep. with the you know schoolgirls and like the, the <laughs> yeah. ghost and all that. Yeah, it's, so it's it, good stuff. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, I just thought that one was definitely worth mentioning on this list. That's fair. Um, and then at number one, uh, no surprise, Firefly. So I came into Firefly late, like I said earlier. I came, um, a friend of mine in um, film school, and I think like second year of film school was like, you need to watch this show. Like, it's so much fun. Let's binge it. Like, it's only one season. It's not a big deal. Let's watch it. Fell in love immediately. I mean, I like westerns. Like, I know that's weird, but I do yeah. like westerns. Um, so add that with space. You know, like, it's just, and I didn't, honestly, before that, didn't know who, who Nathan Fillion was. Nobody did. Unless you were so a like, fan of two guys are growing a pizza place. Surprised they actually was. <laughs> Again, I didn't watch Firefly when it came out, so I, I got it later, and I still didn't really kind of make the connection of who he was. And then, like, obviously, like, there's just something about the characters that in Firefly that is just awesome. Like, Kaylee, like, they're all, like, just solid, solid characters. Out of Gas is probably my favorite episode of television. I, I think it's one of the things that Firefly has going for it is, you know, it's one of my favorite TV shows of all time, and I think part of the reason for that is because it's so limited. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's a bad episode in that batch. That's what you think, like, that's what sets it away from Buffy, is that it, yeah. it didn't have the time to yeah, disappoint yeah, yeah. you with no, anything. No, that's true. Yeah. It's, it's a tough call. Like, if there were seven seasons of Firefly, I wonder which I would like more. It's a good question. Unfortunately, one movie. Yeah, which we will never know. Never okay, know. but how do you feel about the reboot that they're talking about? We've talked about that on another episode. I, I, if they are to do it, I, I think it would have to be new characters. Yeah, I think so too. Mm. I don't think that they could do it. It's just so love those characters and those actors as those characters that there's no way they could possibly do it. 
And the so actors much. have a reputation now. They're getting pretty tired of hearing about when Firefly reboot. They, they kind of want people to let it go. Yeah. And so much time has gone by, and yeah. almost all of them have regular gigs doing other stuff. So it would be weird. It would be weird yeah. to, to drop them back in there 20 years later and, and just t- carry on from where we left off. I just don't think... Yeah. I don't no, see I, it. I think part of what Firefly's charm is that like the universe begins and ends, as far as I'm concerned, in those 14 episodes yeah. and, and a movie. Which brings up another point that we need to add. Does Serenity fall under the umbrella of Firefly for this? Because it's very different from the shows. I I don't know if I'm the odd one out on this, but I like to separate the two. Really? I do. I like to separate the two. I like I like Firefly as like I've seen Serenity a couple times. It's great. I enjoyed it, but I like to separate it from and I think it's just because of Wash. <laughs> I like to separate it. I, I, I like again, to separate having it because... someone we care about being yeah. brutally destroyed. Yeah, like a character that no one can dislike. Yeah. You can't. He's the best. It like hurt my heart so much. Well, then you're going to have why... a hard time with Angel. Oh, uh, I mean, I shouldn't watch Angel. <laughs> well, I mean, like, besides the death, though, Serenity does a lot. I mean, it, what it tries to do is it tries to compress seven seasons of television yeah. into two hours. And so we see, like, the characters... Who those characters are in Serenity is not who they are in Firefly. Yeah. They like they've changed a lot. I mean, we're supposed to believe they've changed a lot in the interim, and they don't get performed the same way. The tone. How have they changed? I don't. I don't see it. I mean, besides everyone being a lot more actiony, yeah, right. they're, they're, everyone's much more. What's I guess dramatic. I don't know enough television words to to say, <laughs> but it's kind of the difference between movie Picard and television Picard. I guess okay, so. Okay. Yeah, like you know, like movie Nathan Fillion in a way he or movie Captain Mal rather, in a way he's closer to Captain Mal in like the first like in the in the premiere episode. Is that also called Serenity or am I crazy? Uh, the pilot of Firefly. Be, yeah. So yeah, the, the Mal and Serenity is a lot like the Mal and Serenity. <laughs> but over the 14 episodes of Firefly, he changes yeah, and he learns. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden in Serenity, he's back to being, you know, early on in the movie, they're like, "You shouldn't have killed that guy." Yeah. Like maybe like you should, just for the money, that was wrong. Like he's he's doubled back yeah, yeah. his character because we need him to learn something again yeah. for the movie that he's already learned. Like it's just there's little gaps in who the characters are like that. You know, he spent 14 episodes very slowly and comedically building up the relationship with Morena Baccarin. Yeah. And then the movie... With Nara. Okay, with Nara. And then in the movie, we're back to square one. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. I just like kind it, of... I like to separate it. I like to, I like to keep... They're separate projects. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, so it's harder for me to separate them because Serenity was the first thing I saw. Okay. You know, we... I, I got free passes. Yeah, that's... Yeah, we went to this movie. I said... I have seen a television show <laughs> that was just like this. It was so weird. That's really funny. And I, I didn't know anything about it going in, yeah. and there are people there in brown coats, right. and they've got Jane hats on in the audience, and I'm like, what is with yeah. these people? They bust these in? Is it, uh, are they on day passes or something? <laughs> and uh, and then left the movie, had a blast. I thought yeah. it was me. And then someone was like, you know, it's based on a TV show. And I was like, What? <laughs> So I picked up the show on DVD and binged it. And, yeah. and For a while, I was like, like I was getting it confused with Star Hunter. Like I couldn't quite figure. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it took me a while to well, sort see, that like, out. Whereas, like I saw uh, Firefly first and, and binged Firefly first, so that's what I was in love with. I loved it, and then it wasn't until after that, like I don't know, I can't remember how long after I binged it that somebody was like, "Yeah, you know, there's a movie, right?" Like it kept going, and I was like, "What?" And so for me, like. I think because I had rewatched and like watched Firefly so many times in between that and when I knew there was a movie of it that I was so in love with that that like 
I had to distance myself from Serenity. And once right. I watched it, I was kind of like, okay, like, I see what they're doing. Like, but, you know, River and all that stuff. <laughs> but, like, yeah. No. So, yeah. I think we can all concede that Firefly, phenomenal. Yes. <laughs> Again, maybe because it's just sure. a just a piece. Yeah. You know, maybe it wouldn't have worked as a large pizza, but it works better as, like, just a taste. As uh, a slice. As a, as a tapas. As a tapas. <laughs> but that's fair. It's so not- it's been, you know, since uh, the second Avengers movie, we haven't seen much from, from Joss, but it uh, sounds like things are, are ramping up for this Batgirl movie. Hopefully that happens, and uh, we'll finally get some more Whedon-y goodness. But until then, I think we're going to have to wrap up this episode. Yeah, we've completed our, you know, ritual, I guess, semi-annual praise of Master Whedon. Yeah, You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am I am excited to see what he does with Batgirl. I'm not sure it's a good choice, a bad choice. I don't know. I hope it's a good choice. I uh, love the comics, so I'd be curious to see how he takes it. But... It can't, can't be worse than the Killing Joke movie. We can all oh. agree <laughs> it'll be a bat choice. Oh. Okay. <laughs> on that note... <laughs> Thank you so much, Kylie, for coming back. We Thank love you having you having on the me. show. Um, special thanks to Kylie <laughs> for joining us. And special thanks to our crew, to Ben Sound for our theme song, bensound.com, and Stella Simeonova for getting this all online so you can hear it. And special thanks to my buddy Graham. Ah, thanks to you too, Jesse. <laughs> Just to make sure we're doing that comic thing where we name everybody. Yeah. I know how important <laughs> that is to you. Hey guys, this has been Geek Top 5. We'd love to hear your opinions. We're sure that you know some of this Joss Whedon stuff. If there's anything about this that particularly got your goat, we'd love to hear it. Please let us know. There's all kinds of ways you can reach us. Yeah, you can send us an email at geektop5 at gmail.com. We've got our website, geektop5.com, and there's all message boards on there. You can go to facebook.com slash geektop5, or uh, we're on Twitter at geektop5. Geektop5, love to hear from you, and you'll hear from us again in just a couple of weeks. <laughs>